and we are live. Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of Up in Flames today. We are going on the NBA preview, and I got some of the greatest guys in the building. But before I intro them, I want to shout out our sponsors over there at MyBookie. Make sure you go to MyBookie.ag using promo code off the ball. They match 50% of your first deposit up to $1,000. And also, go to OffTheBallNetwork.com for all your sports needs and entertainment. But before I bring these lovely gentlemen, some of the best basketball minds I've ever been around, communicated with, or talked to, and before we welcome back our very own Steven, host of Breaking the Game, we'll be right back after this. Warning. You are now listening to Up in Flames. We up in flames, yeah. We up in flames, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Let me hear it, Lambo. We up in flames. We up in flames. We up in flames. Yeah, we up in flames, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, we up in flames, yeah. Yeah, uh, we up in flames, hold on, uh, check this go. We up in flames, yeah, uh, we up in, uh, yeah, yeah, we up in flames, yeah. Woo! We up in, uh, yeah, we up in flames, we up in flames. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the official NBA preview for Up in Flames. And I got some of the greatest guys in the building. And I'm going to start off with the guy below me, Cole Reigns, host of the Nothing But Airtime, one of the newer additions here at the Off the Ball Network. Cole, what's going on, bro? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm not too much going on. How's yourself, man? Hey, I'm all good, bro. Definitely glad to have you on here. I know you said you were excited. You've been doing your fantasy your your fantasy uh your fictional basketball yeah your yeah, fictional basketball four. tournament we're at the final four we'll talk about that a little bit later but I saw Peter Griffin might upset Will Smith and it might upset me I can't believe people who are voting Peter Griffin but hey you know I know you're glad to talk some basketball then I got Kenneth you've seen him on Up in Flames a lot lately I probably owe him a lot of favors with the usage I've had with him as a guest on Up in Flames. But he is the host of the Shooter Shoot podcast and the co-host of Breaking the Game. Kenneth, what's going on, bro? Well, I understand why you brought me on, like, international audience and everything. So, like, you know, you're just making sure that you get the Canadians involved. And, I mean, I'm shocked that Peter Griffin is even in it with Will Smith. He's the only guy who's a bigger mound round mound round of rebound than i am so uh pretty shocked by that but uh yeah super excited to be on tonight yeah definitely glad to have you on then i it's the grand welcome back to our guy steven the host of breaking the game the director of operations at off the ball network it's been a while and what better to bring him back than to help me out on my lack of basketball knowledge here on the nba preview <laughs> steven what's going on bro Hey, what's good, fellas? Appreciate y'all having me on. It feels so good to be back. Shout out to my co-host right here, Kenneth, for holding it down. Uh, shout out to all the gentlemen over at Off the Ball for all the continued success that has taken place since I've been gone. But I am so glad to be back. Mo, you know way more about basketball than you're leading on right now, which is why you're hosting the show tonight. So I appreciate you just entertaining me being on your tremendous platform, brother. It feels good to be back. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely glad to have you back. Um I, for, for those who have been listening, I've attacked football uh, really hard. Every weekly show has been football, whether it's college, 
uh, NFL, been going on other platforms, talking college and NFL, but it's basketball season. It's October. The season starts on Tuesday. So it's only right to come back in, in my absence from Dash Radio, which thank you all for listening here on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel. It's even been a little while since I've said that, so I got to get used to rolling back into that. But what better than to have these group of guys to kind of bring me back on the Dash Radio, back in my element of talking basketball. So without further ado, we're going to get right into it. And we're going to talk about the biggest overachievers. We're going to talk about the biggest underachievers, players, teams. We're going to talk about the players with the highest expectations. And we're even going to get into who, who we'd like to see traded. It's not about a trade rumor. It's not about teams per se. It's just about somebody that we see in a situation that we see fit for somebody else's situation. So there's no rumors going on here. Uh, this is just us drawing up trades that we would like to see that make sense for both sides. But we're going to start out with our biggest overachiever, and we'll go with the player side. So with that, Kenneth, I'll start with you. Who do you think, based on their expectations or your personal expectations for them, will outdo or or outplay what we expect to see from from, from them this season? Uh, I'm, a, I'm really big on the Dallas Mavs this year, and I know a lot of people are going to point at, you know, they didn't make a lot of off-season off moves because – I mean, when I look at this team, they really only added Reggie Bullock. But I think if you look at Dallas' season last year, they came out of the gates really slow. Like, they were only 8-12 and 12 through January. But then they really started to figure it out in the second half of the year. They were 34-18 and 18 the rest of the way. So I think that they were really trending upward last year. I think they were starting to figure it out as a unit. Um, I think what also plays a major factor for them is the fact that a lot of teams in the West are dealing with injuries and they're teams that would typically be ahead of them as far as standings go. You know, the Clippers are going to be without Kawhi. Denver's going to be without Jamal Murray. So I think those two losses are going to be pretty major. So I've got Dallas finishing just outside the top four as the five seed this year. I think that uh, overall, they're just a really talented unit. I think Luka is not going to start out as slow as he did. Uh, obviously he has some issues with Chris Stapps Porzingis that they're going to have to sort out this year, especially from a chemistry perspective, but overall, I'm just really high on the Mavs and Luka Doncic this year. I think that he's going to be the MVP this year. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess I kind of have them right at where you have them. So I, for me, they're not going to overachieve my expectations just because I think they're going to be exactly where I expect them to be. I don't hold them, uh, to, the highest of standards, I think, like, you know, that to me, there's levels of winning a championship uh, without major moves. And first off, I, I don't think you, like, skip steps. So I don't see them getting to the finals this year, which, of course, you didn't say that. But I just I have them maybe win, good enough to win a, wet, uh, a playoff series if they're lucky, get to the Western Conference finals. But I think it would take some luck, some the right, the perfect matchup for them to really make it that far and win two playoff series. But that's just me. Steven, as far as the team. What team do you think overachieves, like I said, either A, what you expect them to do, but you can see them reaching their ceiling, or B, just the overall what people are saying about this team and you're higher on them than most? Um, I don't know if I'm going to say higher than most because I think that a lot of people that are plugged in will go with this team, but I still think that they're kind of sitting in the uh, kind of in most people's afterthought whenever they're talking about contenders out of both conferences, and that's the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, we saw – that make it all the way to the conference finals last season, but mainly what's the offseason been consistent of with, with contenders, right? Like the, the nets, even though this whole Kyrie Irving thing is 
been looming and taking place over the past several weeks. You know, the Bucks are just fresh off of their championship reign. You know, it's theirs until it's until it's not anymore. Philadelphia, everyone's excited to see if whether or not they get like a Damian Lillard type player or Bradley Bill and see them make another run. And everybody's already kind of trading away Atlanta's players, right? But if you just look at the the way that this team is built, you know, who compromises their or excuse me, who who's comprised on this roster, you have, you know, they drafted really well. I was a big fan of their draft. They had Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper take, you know, Johnson a kind of a later first round draft pick at about 20. And then Sharif Cooper fell to them all the way into the second round. Both of those absolute steals, A plus draft in my opinion. And then they stayed deep. You know, they didn't give in to the whole John Collins situation where they just let him walk away for nothing. They were able to, you know, re-sign him to a favorable contract, one that they could move if they need to, but I don't think that they will. They still have, you know, Trey Young obviously is doing his thing there. Clint Capella was a low-key steal for them following his injury after the season prior when they got him over from Houston. So I look at all these things. And they're gelling together. Nate McMillan is finally getting some of his flowers that he's long deserved as an NBA head coach where everyone says, well, he can't win in the first round. Well, if you look at the track record of the teams that he's lost to, we're talking about the NBA champion teams for the most part, right? So Nate McMillan finally has him a good roster that's staying healthy and has superstars on it, right? And so when you look at all of these things, you know, the chemistry building together, they kind of feel like an East Coast you know, Utah Jazz type team, so to speak, right? Well, they got one superstar. They got a good defensive player in a Clint Capella. And then the rest is just, you know, contributions across the floor. They have the depth to withstand a COVID riddled, you know, injury riddled season if need be. But if not, they're just going to have a deep, solid rotation. And I think that the Hawks low key could be one of the better contenders out of the Eastern Conference, especially with the rumors in Philly and with what we're seeing in Brooklyn right now, Atlanta could sneak away with the East. He is back. He is back. He is back. For those of y'all that miss the content that Steven is great with, this is why he is who he is. I, I, I agree with you. They were, they're a team that I, it's just tough for me to think like that. They would overachieve expectations only because like, I could see them being a team back in the Eastern Conference Finals. Do I see them getting to a championship? Still not yet, just like everybody else. But I think they could repeat because – but I, I guess there's – people are kind of a little bit low on them because they feel like based on injuries and certain things that happened is why Atlanta was there. So I think people – there's actually, I think most people think they'll take a step back. Now, that's not necessarily a knock on them, but the East got a lot better. The yep. East is probably deeper than the West, especially when we talk about the start of the season, because there's not really a lot of Easter conference teams that are starting banged up, not having, you know, their second best player or their key player where we know we go to the Western conference and we're talking about Denver starting with no Jamal Murray, uh, no Kawhi Leonard for the Clippers. We know Clay Thompson's not going to be starting the season with Golden State. Uh, so there's so, there's some injuries to some of these teams that we could see competing for a championship. But I, I do think a lot of people think they're going to take a step back. So to think, I guess they would overachieve if they do repeat what they did last year, because a lot of times when you think it's a fluke, when people think it's a fluke, you have to run it back and prove. So I think Atlanta will be on like a, let me prove to y'all we are that good of a team. And if I may, just real quick, let's not forget, and I bring this up quite a bit, that the, the people running this organization are the same people that came over from Golden State. And once Golden State started taking taking those steps forward and looking ahead of schedule, we saw, you know, what we would call now a modern day NBA dynasty, right? Like we don't see yeah. teams 
last, you know, eight to 10 seasons anymore. But, you know, Atlanta looks like they're kind of on that same trajectory as what Golden State did in their in their younger days. And, you know, they, we might be talking about a move or two that may happen later on in the show that I could definitely see happening to help kind of bolster or progress, you know, help them progress. Let's also not forget the fact that Atlanta dealt with injuries last year in the playoffs, even with with Reddish and Hunter missing time, who are both super young pieces. They can improve as well. Like that's what people write off about the Hawks is like, well, no one really stands out outside of trade. Well, they're all super young and they're still getting better. Like so this isn't like this isn't where they're at. They can continue to get better. And that means as a team, they can continue to get better as well. So I agree with Steven 100 percent. Yeah, I definitely could see him. So Cole, team that that overachieves, to, you know, your expectations, the rest of the world's expectations. Who you got? I got an Eastern Conference team, Western Conference team. I'll start out East. I got the Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte Hornets are set at hey. uh, Vegas has thirty eight and a half as their win total. I think this is a team that could be right around that forty two to forty three uh, amount of wins. I, I like Lamelo Ball. They drafted Book Knight. They got Terry Rozier there. That's a solid guard rotation. Added Kelly Oubre, Mason Plumley. Got that veteran presence a little bit. Uh, they were a playing team last year. I think LaMelo is going to take that next step forward. I think Rozier is going to continue to be steady. Bridges, Washington, all those young guys, LaMelo is going to make them better. I think the Hornets are going to be a little bit of an overachiever this year. I really like Borrego as that head coach as well. Um, out West, I like Portland. I like Portland because, you know, Dame and CJ have seen their name in trade rumors, but I think they're going to be a five to six, four to five to six range in that Western Conference. You mentioned all the injuries. I like the Larry Nance pick, pick up. I like Rocco there. They have a kind of a versatile forward pair that, you know, you looked at last year, you had the, uh, Carmelo Anthony and Anis Cantor getting minutes, which wasn't very pretty out there. So you're getting a, a defensive upgrade with Nance over uh, Melo. And I, I think Damon CJ take that next step. And, and rumors out of camp are that Nasir Little looks pretty good too. So I, the Hornets and the Trailblazers are my two that I think we could see uh, exceed people's expectations. Okay, I could see it. I could see it. it. It's tough to follow up. I guess maybe I should start going first so I don't have to follow up how y'all are coming, especially because now I feel like I'm going to be looked at as crazy. My biggest overachiever, I'm looking at the Minnesota Timberwolves. Call me crazy. I think they're a borderline playing team. That's it. I don't think they make the playoffs. I think they're a borderline playing team. I look at how their roster is constructed, and I talk about if healthy. If D'Angelo Russell is healthy, you got Jaden McDaniels. I think Anthony Edwards starts coming into his own. He's Yes, it's his second year, but I think he takes that next step. Not that he's going to become an all-star player yet, but when you start when you started seeing these young stars take that step prior to becoming an all-star superstar, Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, Donovan Mitchell, this was where you started seeing in their second year, like that's the future of the league. Those are going to be the future all-stars, the, the borderline superstars of the league. And I think Anthony Edwards has that in him. He's a lot like Donovan Mitchell. I don't, you know, if you really watch them, they kind of play very similar. They play really athletic. They play stronger or bigger than they are. And they, they can stretch the floor a little bit. I compare both of them to Dwayne Wade, like, but they're a modern day. They could shoot a little bit better from the outside than Dwayne Wade ever was able to, but he also played in an era where it didn't require you to jack up, you know, 30 to 35 threes as a team, a game. Uh, but I think Anthony Edwards is able to take that next step. And I think Carl Anthony Towns is focused. You know, you never tragedy can sometimes triumph can happen in the midst of tragedy. And mm. I hate to say, but like when you play for something, we, we see it a lot. We saw it a lot in football when somebody's mom passed or somebody's brother, passed, they would have outstanding performances the next Sunday. And it's not that you want to say, 
well, he's only that good because of track, but it happens. And so I think Carl Anthony Towns is all in, and we saw the emotion from him coming into the season with all the distractions, just everything that's being done with the uh, when they fire out of the firing out of the front office. And Carl is like, when is it going to stop? And I think like I think more than anything, he wants to succeed have some type of success, do it for his mom. And I think that really means something. So it's just something about the Timberwolves team that people think they're going to be probably bottom of the pack. They're going to blow it up, you know, see, you know, possibly trade cat trade. You know, we already got D and trade rumors trying to get him to Philly. You never know, but I think there's some people who would, wouldn't be surprised if come trade deadline, or at least after this season, Minnesota starts to look to blow it up essentially and see what they could get and really start a full blown rebuild, probably around Anthony Edwards, as being their guy of the future. So I think they are a borderline. Like I will not be surprised barring any major injury if Minnesota is in that play in tournament, even if it's as the temp seed, I think they could, if all things click and health doesn't play a factor. And that's more so on D who's been a guy and cat. They both have find their ways to be injured at the wrong time. I think when it comes to Minnesota too, when you look at the teams ahead of them, who could potentially be in that play in game? Like we knew, we know new Orleans is a mess right now. Like, they have Ingram and they have Zion, but they're still not winning games. And they're starting to panic of, okay, if we don't start winning, is Zion going to part ways with us in a couple of years? And then you look at Sacramento, another team ahead of them. Buddy Heald was in trade rumors all summer. And while I love Halliburton, I love Fox, and I love Heald, I don't know if Heald's even going to be there long term. So if they move on from him, then that's Minnesota once again having an opportunity to move up. And I don't know about you guys. When it comes to Minnesota, I look at their roster a lot of times at the start of the year, and I'm like, man, they might have something there. But then, like, for whatever reason, in the back of your mind, you're like, they're still in Minnesota. Like, it's just like that block of the franchise. But, like, the talent's definitely there in Minnesota right now, especially on the younger side with Edwards and Towns and Russell. I, I don't know what coach of the year odds are, but I really like Chris Finch, the guy that they brought in, and he could be a long shot guy if they do take that jump that you are speaking to, Mo, that he could be a, a coach of the year candidate if they are in that playing range coming from where they were last year to where we're expecting to be this year. Yeah, yeah. a lot like when Sam Mitchell won the award where like Toronto was a franchise that was like viewed as like a poverty franchise for a long time. And then they had that jump. They weren't even necessarily a top four seed. I think they were like the sixth seed in the East. But that was enough to get them coach of the year just because you expect that franchise to be really poor. So I agree with you on the coaching point. I'm a little bit lower on Minnesota, but if I could, I want to go back to what Cole said about Charlotte. I actually have them seventh in the East on my preseason power rankings. I really like them. I think James Warrego might be in some coach of the year conversations this year if everything clicks right, because they're a young team. And we talk about how good the East is top to bottom, but it's like the middle of the pack. I'm looking at the teams that I have in my rankings. Like I honestly think anywhere from the fifth seed to the 11th seed, you can basically just, you know, put them in a, in, in a cup and d- dump them out like Yahtzee dice and they can just fall out with it, whichever order. And I would believe it. But, you know, Charlotte, they look really good. The biggest problem with them is going to be rim protection and defense. But I feel like they kind of they address that a little bit. But ultimately, the way they run the floor, I think, is going to be exciting to see. But, Mo, your, your Minnesota Timberwolves pick, I don't know, man. Like, I have them 12th right now. But I definitely see a little bit of what you're saying. I think a lot of it is going to be more so their younger guys than it is going to be, you know, their D-Lo or their Carl Anthony Towns because – We've seen it, right? Like we've seen Carl Anthony Towns on this team, not so much with D'Lo because the injuries and tragedies that you that you spoke of. But 
I think it's going to be the injection of new talent, right? Like that, Mc, that McDaniels, I was really high on him coming into the draft. He was actually a top five prospect on my board. And then Edwards, I was lower on him, but it's hard to deny that this guy is ahead of schedule. He's kind of a Jason Richardson prospect in my eyes. That's where I projected him to be. And that's not a bad guy to get, you know, if he's your second or third best player. We saw what teams look like with Jay Rich on their team. So I don't know anywhere from that 12th seed. I could see them going up to maybe the 10th seed, but getting past Memphis and New Orleans is going to be pretty tough task for them, not to mention, you know, your Dallas's or your Portland's or your Golden States, wherever they fall. Right. And like I said, I think like the ceiling for me for them is playing tournament and losing, you know, the first mm-hmm. matchup that they get. But I think it's because a lot of people wouldn't have them there. Like, you know, you have them at 12. So it's not like I just said, nah, you're so low on them. But I just think because even probably that'll probably be the highest you'll consistently see is 12. So you're probably higher on Minnesota than most as far as where you would have them even in the Western Conference. So I just think them getting, I think they could reach their ceiling. And if they do, it's playing tournament, nothing crazy. They don't make it to the playoffs. I don't see them being good enough, especially they could match up with a Dallas report. If somebody underachieves uh, expectedly or unexpectedly, it still could not be a favorable matchup for them. So it I'm could gonna definitely move happen, though. It could definitely yeah, happen. Yeah, it, it could. I, I could see it. And that's, that's why I went Minnesota. So I'm going to move on to the biggest overachiever we see as a player. I'm going to go first here because I, I don't know. I, I, mine is Jordan Poole. Uh, I say overachieve because he's starting to get a little hyped up. We're starting to really see what he can be. But here's what I think he becomes in Golden State this year. I think they're all in, and I think he is a nice piece to have, especially come playoff time. But I also think Jordan Poole could be in a very, a very attractive, he could become a very attractive trade candidate for other teams that could be wanting to pull him from Golden State. Because they have Moody, because they got Kaminga, they still have some depth on the bench because they got Lee coming off the bench. They could afford to trade a Jordan Poole. And what we're seeing from him in preseason right now and the hype that he's getting, he is a baller. He is a walking bucket. And based on what we know happens in a season, teams with high expectations, injuries, uh, Certain players don't pan out. The young guys don't take the step that they expect. All that always happens in the NBA season. You're not going to avoid it. If somebody could look and be like, hey, the way Jordan Poole is being used, it's nice. He's the six-man type in Golden State, but like he could fill our six-man role and play real starter minutes because he's going to play a lot until Clay comes back. But once Clay really gets into full effect, especially if he comes back a little early, he gets into full effect prior to the trade deadline. I think Jordan Poole could be the guy that a team could essentially overpay in a trade package just because the way he's playing and the potential that he has, you end up giving a little more than you would because you could be in desperate need to continue to compete this year. And that's why I think he would become an overachiever because of his va- his value will go up by the trade deadline. I'm not calling that he gets traded, but I think he could be a very high candidate that come trade will come close to the trade deadline. You know, we start hearing teams make calls. I think Jordan Poole could be the guy that a lot of teams are making calls just to even test uh, Golden State's temperature and see if he's even available. So, Steven, who is your biggest overachiever when we talk about a player from the player perspective? Well, we're not going to go very far. And it's funny that you went the Jordan Poole route, right? Because he has gotten a lot of hype. And, you know, we're talking about Clay and, you know, his timeline to be returned. You know, Steph Curry just had a tremendous season. Draymond Green. A very polarizing player still, even not so much for what he's saying on the mic, but just let alone his play style. You know, he's 
he's in decline, right? He's not as physically fit as what he as what he used to be. You know, age has a little bit to do with that. His the, his size, the mileage, how how he matches up against significantly bigger players. You know, it's kind of to be expected, right? And you talked about the young guys that they drafted and Moody and Kaminga. Um, the guy that I have as the biggest overachiever is James Wiseman because uh, I was really high on him coming into the draft. I felt that he was the best prospect. And here's the thing. I'll say it until I'm blue in the face. Big men need time. You don't take a big man and expect them to come in year one unless they're, you know, an Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns-esque player. Sometimes it takes them a couple seasons to turn into what they're really going to be. And I think James Wiseman on this team, like how we're doing, like how you did even opening, Mo, right? Like you talked about Golden State, you walked down all the names, didn't even mention James Wiseman. I think teams are going to kind of fall guilty to that too, right? Because obviously Steph Curry is probably going to attract double team. You know, Clay Thompson, he's going to probably, everyone's going to probably assume that like we got to treat him like the Clay Thompson of old until proven otherwise, right? You don't want to slack mm -hmm. off of him. You know, Draymond Green is going to be making good reads for people. And what's going to happen? James Wiseman is probably going to be the benefactor of a lot of these things. And Steve Kerr himself lately has said that he's seen a lot of growth out of him uh, in, in practices and scrimmages and in the preseason, right? So barring any health injuries or, you know, health issues, anything like that, you look, last year he averaged 12 and 6. And I think that with another season under his belt, another, you know, a, a finally a full offseason of practice and scrimmage and preseason, we're going to see a much improved James Wiseman for the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, and I can't I can't disagree with you. It's just funny. I, you know, we stayed on the same team um, and just I, and I, I, I could very well see that James Wiseman does take that next step that everybody expects and, and fulfills that role and kind of becomes that final missing piece that Golden State needs to make a run at a championship, because if he does you know, play the way you expect them to. That makes Golden State even more dangerous when healthy. And we know they're deep coming off the bench. They do have some young talent. Golden State, to me, is very underrated at how scary they really can be if they come into this uh, playoffs fully healthy. Like, if they're rolling and they come in fully healthy, I think Golden State can really be, because we know they develop uh, talent fairly well. Obviously, their team built with Steph, Clay, and Draymond is based on developing talent through the draft. But I think if those guys, especially Wiseman, can play his role and play it perfect the way you think, I think that makes Golden State scary. So, Cole, I'm going to go with you. Your biggest overachiever player. I got uh, two players, and it's a pair of Cam Thomas and Patty Mills. Um, you're looking at a team that's not going to have Kyrie Irving because of mm. what is going on. Cam Thomas mm. and Patty Mills are going to come into a situation where they're going to have more minutes, more opportunity, and more space playing off of Kevin Durant, James Harden, Blake Griffin, and you're going to see those guys get open looks, and, and they're going to have to capitalize on those open looks. Camp Thomas was one of the better scorers in this year's draft, and Patty Mills has been a steady hand for those San Antonio Spurs teams that have been in that playoffs, have been on those dynasties. So I think both of those players are going to see usage rates high, higher than they may have expected without Kyrie there, but I think they're both going to flourish in them. And I, and I could see that, especially because Cam Thomas – we felt like a lot of people felt like that was like a steal of the draft. Like to see the type of player that he is go to Brooklyn, like to see a, a championship competitive team get a guy like Cam Thomas was like, that's got to be a steal, especially the role he's going to fill. He's not, he's going to have zero expectations except get a bucket. 
do what you do well, and we'll figure everything else out. He's not going to have to come and flourish defensively. He's not going to have to come and be the, the playmaker for the rest of the team and make his team better. He's going to be able to, and at least for his first year or two, the expectation is to do what he does well, and that's get a bucket because you have some veterans who, you know, Kyrie and KD have won the championship. We don't know if we'll have Kyrie, but, you know, they have won the championship, and, and James Harden is seeking a championship, but has played very high-level basketball uh, deep into the playoffs, so they can handle the rest. So I definitely agree with you. And then Patty Mills, he's gonna be—he has that experience, like you said w- when he did it with the Spurs. I think Patty Mills' overachievement time will come late in the season in the playoffs. I think in those, I think that's when you're gonna really hear how important Patty Mills and the addition of Patty Mills actually becomes to this team. Kenneth, who's your biggest overachiever when it comes to player? Yeah, just to quickly touch on the Patty Mills point too. He's he's just got that written all over him of in a playoff game, he's going to have that 20-point night that's really going to lift Brooklyn to a victory. So that's where I would agree with you on the overachieving point. My guy that I think is going to overachieve, he made all rookie first team last year, and I think he's going to take a big step this year is Sadiq Bey. And I mm-hmm. think him in Detroit, what I really like about that situation for him is so they've already got Jeremy Grant as their kind of go-to scorer right now. You know, obviously they drafted Cade, so he's going to play uh, a major factor in that offense, especially from a distributing standpoint. And I think Bay is really going to benefit from that. We saw last year he was he was a knockdown three-point shooter for a lot of his rookie season, and he just constantly got better as the year went on. Because you look at the start of the year, he wasn't getting a ton of minutes, and then he he just started to earn that time, and a lot of that had to do with Detroit dealing with some injuries. But I think he's just going to play a major role for Detroit this year. We know that Detroit's not going to win a lot of games. They're going to be in the bottom three or four teams on that team. But I wouldn't be shocked if Sadiq Bey comes out and he's a 15, 16-point-per-game guy this year. Could even be upwards closer to 18 this year because the opportunity is going to be there. I think he just overachieves from the standpoint of no one's talking about Detroit. No one's talking about him as a player in Detroit because everything's about Cade and companies. So I think he's just going to benefit from that this year. And I, I just see him having a big year for Detroit. Yeah, I definitely could see that, especially because I think we're going to be trying to find some type of excitement outside of Cade in Detroit because they're, they're probably not going to be a really great team. Uh, but, but they do become they, they become one of those teams that you end up watching on that random like, you know, Saturday night when the Saturday night college football game isn't good or when we're, we're in bowl season and Detroit's playing Cleveland. And it's like a lot of young guys that you end up just, you know what, this could be some exciting basketball. You watch some guys in the future like I think Detroit will have some matchups there where you're like, you know, you might want to watch Detroit and Houston. Cade versus Jalen Green, like, you know, I think those will be the times where you watch him and actually be amazed at pretty much everything you said, and I could see him taking the next step. So we talked about overachievers with players and teams. We're going to keep it on players, but we talked about the bright side. Now we have to get in the dark side, and we're going to talk about biggest underachievers, and we're going to go the player route first. Uh, I always hate having these because this is like the negative side of the sport, the negative side of analysts, guys who are, you know, pedestals are really high and we don't see them getting there. But you got to do it because it happens every year. People overachieve, people underachieve. You set expectations and people can't meet them. That's why the word bust even exists when we talk about prospects and players and all that. So we have to talk about the underachievers. So, Stephen, I'm going to start with you. Who is your biggest underachiever when we go the player route? Mo, I hate to do this to you, but I know we talked about it when the contract was signed. Man, Kyle Lowry, I don't think that he's going to live up anywhere close to that three-year, $85 million contract. And to me, that's what expectations are built on, right? If you just mentioned the bust, you know, the higher the pick, 
you know, if they don't live up to those high pick expectations, they become a, they become what some people would consider a bust, right? You know, whether or not you believe in that, like you said, Mo, that's where that, where that conversation comes from, you know, and on the flip side of that for these veterans, right? You know, if they sign these lucrative contracts, you, you better live up to them. And as much as I love Kyle Lowry, I'm a big fan of his game. I just don't know what, you know, he's coming into what his 35 year old season in Miami, I don't know if he's worth, you know, CP3 money. Look at what Chris Paul just did, you know, in the latter part of his, you know, basketball career. He just went to the NBA Finals. Miami <laughs> could surprise us, Mo. We we said this a couple seasons ago in the bubble when we were like, hey, you know, we wouldn't be surprised if Miami beats Milwaukee. What did they do? They did that. We also mentioned wouldn't be surprised to see them in the finals. What happened? They did that. I don't know if they have the juice to be able to pull it off again, considering how good the East has gotten since those couple seasons ago, Mo. But I mean, we're looking at a team who they're going to be looking at Jimmy Butler, right? Like he's the captain of this team. He's what got them to the to that to those finals that I was just speaking about. And then they have Bam Adebayo, top three big men in the NBA still. You know, the combination of the offensive game of say a Nikola Jokic with the defense of a Joel Embiid—that's something to behold in the NBA. And then. You know, is Tyler Hero going to be that guy? Duncan Robinson going to be that guy? That's where that's where Kyle Lowry kind of has to fit in on this team is, you know, is he solely going to be a facilitator? Do you want to pay a facilitator that amount of money? Or is he going to live up to that 17-7-5 that he got last season as far as stats go, right? So I don't know. Point guards that play his style, this, you know, real ground and pound, nitty gritty, you know, rough and tumble type of play. Yeah, does he play a lot in the season? I don't know, man. Like, I hope so, but I'm just looking at the amount of money that he got paid. I'm looking at the team that he's on and the pecking order that seems to be in play. And I don't know if Kyle Lowry is going to live up to almost $90 million cash money by the time this contract is up or even this season. Yeah. And, you know, I don't disagree with you. You know, when they made that move to get Kyle Lowry, I was probably the most critical, especially at least out of. Miami Heat fans because I'm like when you make moves sometimes if the move doesn't move the needle to win a championship then you don't make certain moves for right now and I feel like like you said I don't think as as great as the offseason as Miami had they're a team nobody's gonna want to see if we're talking about them coming in fully healthy into the playoffs nobody wants to have to see Miami mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean none of those teams are going to be able to beat Miami and so I don't think any of the moves made the needle obviously the key move here was getting Kyle Lowry, and I don't think it made move the needle to really be considered a championship team. Maybe knocking off one of the championship teams. Maybe the ceiling here is Easter Conference Finals. Uh, get the right matchup in the first round, being able to match up nice uh, with whoever it is, whatever championship contender we see that they see in the second round. Whether they run it back with Milwaukee, see a Brooklyn who we don't know could could or could not have Kyrie, which could make a different impact on how Miami would be able to match up with them. Uh, but I, I agree with you, especially because you're talking about we're paying him until he's what thirty eight years old, yep. uh, borderline thirty nine. You're talking Chris about Paul money, bro. Old, yeah, and you're talking about giving a thirty eight year old thirty million dollars, essentially almost thirty million dollars. That's a lot when we're talking about a guy who isn't of Chris Paul stature, didn't just lead his team to finals, hasn't you know won a championship in a couple of years. He won one with Toronto, obviously when Kawhi got there, but still he was the second best player on the team, but he never, you know, $30 million is a lot for, like you said, a guy who could essentially, if these young guys step up, be a facilitator, uh, maybe at 12 to 13 points a game. Like I could have kept going Drogic, you know, for a lower contract. And I love Drogic 
But essentially, I think we overpaid for a guy who's going to have to play Drogic's role uh, from last year for this team to be a success. So, Kenneth, your biggest underachiever as a player. One thing real quick before oh, we ahead. start. The Victor Oladipo thing kind of makes me a little tentative with the Kyle Lowry thing, too. Because if Victor Oladipo does come back up 80% of himself, I think he's going to be worth more of what he's going to get rather than $80 million to Kyle Lowry. So, I love the pick. And, and the Oladipo thing's an X factor to me. So That's a good point. I didn't have... I didn't have it in me to put Lowry there. It's probably the Canadian drinking water that that had me not want to put him there. But I I do think that the later part of that contract, especially, is going to be really bad, as Stephen pointed out. I'm going to say a name that, I mean, might get me kicked off the network, but I don't really care. Uh, Julius Randle. And here's the thing about Randle. Here's the thing about him. It's not that he's not going to have a good season. But he's like Lowry. He just got an extension. He's much younger than Lowry, but four years, 117. Expectations are going to be really high on a guy that just made an all-NBA team, especially because he's on the Knicks. Because, you know, if Randall was on 25 other franchises, I think they would be like, you know what, like, that's our guy. But, like, you know, we're not expecting to, like, go, like, really far with this team. The New York went out. They got Kemba. They re-signed a lot of their role players. I think Knicks fans, Evan Fournier, Evan Fournier, Knicks fans have this expectation that they're going to win a playoff series this year. You know, they might make a longer playoff run than they did last year because obviously they were deflated losing in five. But I just think that when you look at RJ Barrett, I think he's going to improve. I think Fournier is going to play a bigger role in that offense. So I think Randall's numbers are just going to drop strictly because there's now more mouths to feed in New York. And I think it's going to irritate fans, especially that he's not putting up the numbers that he did last year, but it's strictly because he's not going to have to because they've added more pieces. So that's where I say he underachieves in a sense that you just paid the guy almost $30 million for an all NBA player last year. And he's not going to be that this year. So that's where he underachieves just because like, I think Julius Randall hit the peak of where he's going to be by making an all NBA team last year. And I just don't think he can live up to it again. So it's not even a knock at him. I really love Randall as a player. It's just, you know, there's, there's more pieces there now in New York. And it's tough. I I agree with you as far as sometimes it's tough when you're overachiever because people have expectations now. And if you outdid yourself, because it happens, we do it in life. We always outdo ourselves in certain things. And it's like, Oh, now you didn't raise the bar. That's where that term comes from, raising the bar. So now 20, 22 to 23 points a game, 10 rebounds a game, that's not going to be good enough. Second team All-NBA, third team All-NBA, that's not going to be good enough. Like Now they're going to want, especially Knicks fans, we know how they are, they're going to want Julius Randle in that best power forward in the game right now conversation. They're going to want him in that he's getting all-star, you know, starter votes. Like, granted, that, but popularity plays into that, but like all-star, starter, borderline, like he'll probably make an all-star game. But I think when you talk about all NBA, like the the expectations, especially from his own fans, is that he is going to take that next step. And he is going to be that borderline first team all NBA. He's going to have an argument. He's going to be in that top five MVP. And like you said, Kenneth, I just don't find that being realistic. But I just for, you know, spoiler alert, and all of these, I stayed from anything Knicks because I don't want to get killed for saying anything negative, positive. And and, and if you know one thing about me, it's that I don't care about the Knicks side of things and don't care if I get killed for it. So that's why I put him in there. 
Yeah, it was just I don't even touch this. There was nobody that really had pressure or anything, you know, for the future of the show. But still, I just was like, you know, I almost could have put them as biggest underachiever in the next segment, but I didn't because I was like, you know what? There's there's another team that I have. But Cole, who's your biggest underachiever as a player? I too was on Julius Randle. That's Cole why like you, bro. Cole's you're, like you're one of the nice. newest members, and he's about to be one of the ones that gets kicked out. <laughs> well, 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 no, but no, it is not because I don't expect him not to be a good player. It's all—it's for all the things Kenneth said. I think it's going to be a two steps forward, one step back type of deal. He had a big season last year. They have all those mouths to feed. He was exposed a little bit in the Hawks series. I, I think that's going to get out a little bit, and you're going to see him take a step back. Miles to feed, exposed, whatever. The other name I had was P.J. Tucker, and I know that's going to upset a lot of people too. I think P.J. Tucker is one of the more overrated players in the NBA. I think he does not do a lot offensively. So when you're playing with him, it's basically four on five, and the Heat need that floor spacing, and he was not supplying that for the Bucks. I watched a lot last year. And defensively, he was getting lit up by stars, and if the Heat are going to expect him to guard those stars, the Kevin Durant's, the Giannis Antetokounmpo's, we saw him give up 40, 50 routinely to Durant. Um, so I, I, I think that's going to be another guy where you kind of scrounge around thinking, oh, my gosh, where's the old P.J. Tucker? Well, P.J. Tucker's three years older, and I just I, I think it's four on five when he's on the court. I'm not a fan. So I, I think his rebounding like won y'all a game, though, because when yes. when the Bucks offense came out flat, what was a game? I think it was four or five. Four, four or five when the offense came out flat, like his energy and hustle, like – kept y'all in that game and y'all ended up winning because that first quarter was pretty low but i get what you're saying right like it's the the idea of this you know even the idea that a three and d player um that they're as deep as they are in the nba i think is a little um overstated as well so i get where you're coming from for that it, i don't know that's an interesting that's an interesting take i, I haven't really given much thought to a pj tucker but i went but when you pointed out the way that you did especially with the role on the defense that he's mm-hmm. going to be asked to do I think that he might be asked to do a little bit too much that he's not going to be able to live up to that expectation like you just put, Cole. That's a good point. I think what you're going to see with that Heat team is you're they're going to expect him to be in those closing five, some sort mm-hmm. of Lowry, Hero, Butler, Tucker out of bio, and I don't think he's going to be able to, to run with those guys. I think you're going to see them have to go small and Butler play a little bit bigger and get exposed a little bit. So mm-hmm. I, that, that's my worry with Tucker on that Heat team. Especially yeah. how much they made of the Tucker signing. Like They brought him in like – and tried to play it off as like Tucker's our defensive stopper. But as you said, Durant exposed them and some of these other wing guys did in the playoffs at times. So that's where he's going to underachieve where they're going to be like, wait, I thought PJ Tucker was supposed to be this like all NBA type defender. And then they're going to routinely see stars put up big numbers on him. So I agree on the PJ point. Yeah, I definitely could see it. So I'm a hit, you know, I kind of, I don't know. I'm going to say mine. Mine's Pascal Siakam. Like, I think he's going to underachieve. I think he's going to be gone. I think he's possibly could be gone at the trade deadline. Uh, And and here's why. Because it's always what's expectations is sometimes, to me, I pay attention to a lot of what players say when asked certain questions. And so that means you laid expectations on yourself. Mm -hmm. And so for Pascal Siakam to have been hurt, Hurt, his feelings were hurt that he wasn't considered the guy the last year or two of Kyle Lowry being in Toronto goes to tell me how he values himself, which is okay. I'm not upset with how he values himself, but with you in you valuing yourself, you are essentially you're younger. So you're saying like, you should have been that guy. You should be the all-star player. Um, 
you should be the guy that's getting them to the playoffs, the face of Toronto. And I don't think he does that this year. And I even think he's going to have some value to some teams who are in more win now, or like we're, we're like a year away from really winning and competing with the rest of the NBA, maybe a Boston Celtics, maybe even golden state looks at him later in the season if injury, or, you know, there's, he's out there on the market and, you know, they have some tradable contracts and might have to make some moves to make some sacrifices as well. But we know that that organization has been connected with them prior to the draft. And we thought that that was a possibility. So I think he's going to underachieve because he's not going to be that guy. And they got Scotty Barnes, who bringing in to me, bringing in another forward. And yeah, you got Van Vliet and you got Trent. But bringing in another forward when we all kind of expected that they could have brought a guard in like we thought. Jalen Suggs was more the move for Toronto. Steven, I know you were big on like a Jalen Suggs going to Toronto, if I'm not mistaken, in your mock draft. I think you and Kenneth both had him going to Toronto. I had him going to Cleveland. If I was a general manager, I would have went. I I had Toronto just because I everything we heard about Mobley going at three. But like Mm -hmm. as far as fit goes, I thought that Suggs would have been great in Cleveland as well. Yeah, but and then my thing was we also, you know, with them losing Kyle Valvery, we thought at least they'd try and get a young version of being able to replace some type of production at the point guard position. Van Vliet, to me, is not necessarily the facilitating point guard, and he's not, to me, the greatest playmaker. I think he's a really good basketball player. But -hmm. I don't think he, okay, now that Lowry's gone, like I think he played well alongside Kyle Lowry. Now that Lowry's gone, like you're expecting him to kind of fill that void. And Trent Jr., I think Suggs could have done a better job of that. So that's why I have Pascal Siakam. Might not be the, the popular choice, might sound like I'm hating, but it's because when you say certain things, you lay expectations on yourself. And then also with that, I just see him more being a trade candidate and having some value to some teams who really could win now and are a piece away. And I think if that happens, I think the Celtics would look at him. Uh, we know they've been looking to upgrade their roster at some point, and I think they could look at Siakam to play alongside Tatum and Jalen Brown, uh, and he could fill that four spot and move Jalen Brown. I mean, Jason Tatum to the three, have Jalen Brown at the two. I think Golden State would be a team that would entertain it if they didn't have to give up too much. Uh, and, and there's a couple other teams, but I think more so it would be like one of those win-now teams. I think the Clippers, what you know, if Pascal Siakam is on the block, I think the Clippers would entertain it, trying to upgrade their roster, especially around trade deadline. They say Kawhi will be coming back, so – you, you revamp it for the second half of the season. I can see the Clippers being very interested in making that happen. So that's why I went Pascal Siakam. So you now – oh, go ahead. You know, with Siakam, everyone kind of penciled him in as like taking the be, – becoming that kind of Kawhi version two type and, and scoring and being the primary scorer on that team. I think he's going to be more of a Draymond Green than a scorer where he's kind of playing that – distributor role I think that's why they didn't draft the guard they're going to have him play that point forward distribute to guys like Van Vliet and Barnes and Chris Boucher and all the shooters around him so I I I can see where you're coming from I don't like the team around him I think Siakam's very much a product of the team around him because he's not going to be the 25 a game guy rather going to be that 15 7 and 5 guy or whatever so I I see where you're coming from but I'd be interested I think he's the predecessor for Draymond Green and Golden State 
you kept bringing it up, but I think he'd yeah. be the perfect fit. When it comes to Toronto too, because I get force fed those games down my throat every every day in Canada. But like I watch a lot of Toronto games. And when you talked about the Van Vliet situation, I 100% agree with you there where Van Vliet's really not the distributor. What, what was nice was he got to play kind of that like small shooting guard role. And now he's going to be asked to play the point guard position a bit more. Not that he can't distribute, just his role was more so that knockdown shooter and everything for them so I agree on this Siakam point because I just think yeah the team isn't really around him either like I'm not as high on Trent as a lot of other people are I think he'll be fine for them this year like he's gonna have ample opportunity with the the one piece in Toronto that's really nice is OG Ananobi and we're seeing yes, it a lot in preseason as well so I think he underachieves because I think Ananobi's just getting better and I think he's gonna ascend and everyone wanted it to be Siakam, and they're going to realize pretty quickly, oh, man, it's OG because he's almost like a mini Kawhi in the way that he plays because he's a lockdown defender, and he's getting better offensively as well. So that's why he would be an underachiever for me as well. Yeah, and I could, like I said, I definitely could see him being more so of a trade target. So we did it with the players. I'll start off with the teams, and this team actually was mentioned earlier an overachiever. So I'm going to go the Portland Trailblazers. I think they become the biggest underachievers. And I actually loved what everything that Cole said when he said overachievers. But I think they're playing for one thing. And I don't think they've handled that situation well yet. And it's to keep Damian Lillard. I think Damian Lillard, he is not asked out. He, he probably won't ask to be traded this year unless it's a dumpster fire, you know, at, you know, for the first half of the season. I don't see it being that. But I think you're kind of playing to impress Damian Lillard that you're in the right direction to win a championship. And there's nothing wrong with the disloyalty if Damian Lillard wants out. At, at some point, there's certain guys that have rolled the loyalty for so long. I think Dame is a fan favorite, and everybody would be happy for Dame to get out and, and go try and win a championship. Granted, I can't say that if he went to the Lakers or the Nets. Then I think it's a different conversation, but I think he could play for any other of the 27 teams not the, that are not the Blazers, the Lakers, or the Nets that could put him in a position to win a championship, and I still think he becomes a fan favorite. And I know it's like, well, you know, player movement, that's the time we're in. So it's like, yeah, we can praise Damian Lillard, but, like, do you want to go down the, the road of being a guy who was so good that should have won a championship, especially in a time where players moved around to try and get a championship? Like, we talk about some of the greatest players guys to never win a championship. And we talk about like Allen Iverson and Charles Barkley and even Charles had moved around to try and get one. But even AI, like if AI would have bounced from team to team throughout the prime of his career, like if you would have made some moves prior to him actually going to Denver, then it would have been like, oh, that that, that didn't happen. Like Shaquille O'Neal did it, but then like Kobe, did, you know, you just had so many guys being loyal. Michael Jordan did it. You know, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, like they won all their championships coming up into this new era staying loyal to one team and playing for one organization, unless it was late in their career, you know, Jordan playing for the wizards or whatever, that it didn't matter. So I think it's, it's about, and I don't think they're able to, to hold themselves to the standard of keeping Damian Lillard interested in being on port, being in Portland beyond this year. Uh, you could even see a possibility where I think he could ask out and want to be traded and, and they're going to do right by Dame throughout the year. But I think he waits. I don't think he becomes a distraction to any team or the league during the season, and I think in the offseason, it becomes like, hey, I won out. We weren't able to do what we needed to do. I don't see competing for a championship in the near future in this organization, which he should have saw it prior. But 
the loyalty factor kept Dame in, in Portland one more year. That's why I think they underachieved because they could be a fifth or sixth seed. They could be, but they've reached the Western Conference Finals before and haven't been back to that greatness. And I think their sole purpose of playing this year and their goal is to impress Damian Lillard, and I don't think they could do that. Dame is NBA Matt Stafford to me, and I think he's been loyal mm. to a team that's been mid tier. He's been not. I'm not saying talent level because Dame's probably one of the top ten players in the NBA. Stafford wasn't that, but he played for a team forever. They got the new coach in there. Uh, they're going to try to do right by him, like you said, but I think we're going to see that kind of Matt Stafford to the Rams, Dame to insert any of the 29 other teams. So, Yeah, I just don't think – I think he's a fan favorite, and people will back him if he asks out. He just cannot ask out and end up with the Lakers or the Nets. He literally could go anywhere else, and I think he still is a fan favorite, and everybody loves Dame. But I think if he goes to the Lakers or the Nets, I think he gets criticized for making well, you that. Wanna, you want him to get traded, right, if you're a Portland fan, because – you're just not going to win a title. You're you're not, right? And so do you want him to play out his contract? You pay him all this money. You don't really have much to show for it at the end of the day. And then you have an older Damian Lillard that you're not going to be able to command top-tier trade value for. So you, you trade him now. You you bring in, you know, maybe an established name and some young guys and definitely some draft picks so you can get more bites at the apple to revamp and reload for the future and maybe start trading away your guys like your Yosef Nurkic and your CJ McCollums and maybe keep a couple of the vets around, right? But you you want to trade Damian Lillard if you're a Portland Trailblazer fan because, sure, you'll be out of NBA relevancy for a couple of seasons, but if you do it right, we've seen this time and again in the NBA where you just build the right way, you stay patient, you know, you build through the draft like they did, right? They When they drafted CJ McCollum, when they drafted Damian Lillard, when they traded for a Yosef Nurkic, you, you do that, and then you can kind of regain your relevancy after a few seasons. Yeah, I definitely could see that. So we're coming out on our time here on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel. So y'all heard who my biggest underachiever is. If you want to hear the rest of the fellas and the player with most pressure, and we're also going to make a trade of our choice, go ahead and tune in on the Up at Flame show on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Wherever you get your podcast, wherever you listen to, you know, the video version will be on YouTube. Make sure you go follow all these lovely gentlemen. Go follow Cole nothing but, uh, at Nothing But Airtime. Make sure you go check out his show. Make sure you go check out Breaking the Game. Steven and Kenneth are back, pumping out content. Kenneth has been holding it down while Steven has been gone. And then make sure you go Shooter Shoot Basketball Podcast. Kenneth is back in his element. He's, he's talking hoops. He's back in his element. Went to, you know, the purity of why he started doing this. So you guys make sure you check out all these wonderful gentlemen and go to offtheballnetwork.com for all your sports needs and entertainment. But with that being said, Steven, we'll continue with you. Your biggest underachiever as far as a team. This one hurts, man, because, you know, I'm not really like a team guy as an NBA analyst, right? You know, I've, I've steered away from teams, but... Yeah. This, this team does have a lot of dudes that I just really love watching play basketball. And if you've listened to me uh, on any of our shows, even my show, the Boston Celtics are a team that I've just, I love watching them play. I love that they're best players. I love, you know, Marcus Smart. I love all these things. Last season, I had it in me where I was just like, no, they're going to come back. They're going to bounce back. This season, I think that there are those expectations that they are going to return to relevancy, right? You know, they got rid of Danny Ainge. That was the guy that, you know, was at fault for all of their of all their mistakes, right? If you ask any fan or NBA fan at large, you know, Danny Ainge is the only reason why the Boston Celtics didn't succeed, right? They elevated Brad Stevens. 
you know, to be the basketball mind. They, they bring in rookie head coach, Imei Udoka, who was a former player, and he's been around a lot of really talented coaching staffs. And, and they added guys, right, like Dennis Schroeder. Wasn't a big fan of him coming into the free agency market, but for dang sure thought that he was going to do a little bit better. <laughs> you know, when, when people needed to add point guards, they didn't really come to Dennis Schroeder, right? So Boston kind of lucked out and got him. They added Josh Richardson. They brought in Jabari Parker. They bring back guys like Enos Cantor and Al Horford, right? And they still have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So you look at this, and you're like, okay, you know, kind of going back to the way that Boston used to play. Um, Brad Stevens is still around. He'll help out Ime Udoka probably to some capacity in the coaching ranks. But I look at this, and I'm just – I don't really see anything that is going to make me feel better about them progressing, right? Like, yeah, they added Al Horford, another year older. Enos Kanzer, revolving door on the defensive end. Jabari Parker hadn't lived up to the expectations of when Milwaukee drafted him when they did. Josh Richardson, his he looked good in Miami, but ever since he left, you know, your team, Mo, he hasn't lived up to the expectations that have been placed on him. And then Dennis Schroeder, everybody is low on him, right? So, and I'll look at other things too, and I'm going to talk about these things a little bit more when we get to other segments. But, I mean, the team is already having COVID problems, right? Like Al Horford got COVID or, you know, got COVID. Jalen Brown got COVID. Marcus Smart just broke a team rule. And there was rumors last year that he's, that he's button heads with people in the organization and things like that. So it doesn't look good for a team that has one of the, what, top 10 to 15 players in the NBA and Jason Tatum. But, you know, that with, with having those type of players comes these expectations. I have them eighth overall in my Eastern Conference uh, preview because the East got deeper. And I just I think that Boston's going to underachieve again. And with that, we're going to probably see some sweeping moves, maybe even in the middle of this season. Yeah, and I agree with you to what you say about you have them at eighth. And we look at this roster and like even though the East improved, like the Boston Celtics first off with two of, two of the best young wing players, wing tandems and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum should not be the eighth best team in the Easter Conference. And I think that just goes to speak about and say, you know, kind of the rest of their pieces, how, you know, the team, it's almost like the team has never gotten shaken back from like the disruption that Kyrie Irving caused. And that's all I'm going to say when it comes to, to Kyrie. But it, to be honest, it hasn't. Like, and they've had the talent. We don't look at Boston and their talent and say they lack talent. They've all, we know they could have improved that big man, but they find them when they can. Robert Williams has played really well. Uh, we they've been attached to Miles Turner. They haven't gotten the deal done for Miles Turner the past two years. Like it's been, we're going on year three, where I still see some type of possibility that Miles Turner ends up wearing a Boston Celtics jersey, only because I think maybe the third time is the charm. Because uh, last year was the second season where we thought Miles Turner might be in Boston. We said it makes sense for everybody. They he's the missing piece as far as needing a big man. They got wing scores. But whatever. But I, I think it'll it'll be something where we're looking at Boston once again and like they're going to have to make some moves. And what sucks is it's got to really improve. Either they're going to have to shake it up and rebuild, which I don't see them getting rid of, obviously, both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But I think, you know, if not, they'll have to be looking at moves where like what can they get for Jalen Brown to kind of really just take Jason Tatum as a single player and build the team around him. Uh, solo and build the right type of winning team with Jason Tatum leading at the helm. So I agree with you as an underachiever. Cole, who do you have as an underachieving team? Another year, another mid-year for the Indiana Pacers. I think the Indian Pacers are going to be one of the more underachieving teams. I know they get TJ Warren back. I know they got Rick Carlisle. 
Dematis Sabonis is supposed to take this big breakout plan under Rick Carlisle. He might be the superstar there. Brogdon's got too many health issues. Levert's got a broken bone in his back. You just mentioned Miles Turner's and trade rumors. I don't like that supporting cast. I think they're in a tough Eastern Conference. We talked about how that 5-11 to 11 range of the Bulls, the Hornets, the Celtics, the Sixers, the Heat, like all of those teams. I, I see the Pacers being on that fringe of the play-in tournament, and I know a lot of people are excited about Carlisle, but I just don't see it with them. They're my biggest underachiever. And I had the Nuggets as an honorable mention just because of the Murray and the questions with their depth. You know, I don't think Facundo Campazzo is going to be the answer at point guard for them. And I and they're and Jeff Green, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., they're not bad, but those are the two teams I'm kind of expecting unders on the Vegas win totals if I could if I was a gambling man. So Yeah, I have Indiana ranked eleventh in my power for the exact same thing, right? Like Rick Carlisle, sure. But they just they're just average across the board, right? Like they got just good enough players to where you can be like, oh, okay, I like Malcolm Brogdon on a team, but not when it's Karis Levert, Malcolm Brogdon, TJ Warren, Demontis Sabonis, and Miles Turner. Like all these dudes, they're like they should be like third or fourth best players on a championship level team, and that's all they are. Like they're just all they're all third or fourth best players on a really really good team to me. I would love to see Simmons there. I just just for something new with that mm-hmm. team, and I think him and Sabonis could play off each other a little bit. But I, I don't know what that takes. And from the sounds of it, there was a Brogdon Simmons deal that was in rumors this off season, but no, it never amounted to anything. So, yeah, and that and you know that that Ben Simmons, I think we're still gonna he's returning to Philly, and we're gonna constantly hear trade rumors. I just I don't know. Philly's playing it right now. I think they played the whole situation wrong, but I don't know if we'll, you know, see him playing a Philly jersey. So before we talk about our players with most pressure, Kenneth, who is your biggest underachiever when we talk about a team? I mean, firstly, I just want to touch on the Miles Turner point. If we could go a full season without having to hear Miles Turner to Boston again, that would be really <laughs> great. Cause like I'm just sick and tired of hearing it. We talked about it on uh, the shooters pod this week. Like, I'm just so over it. Like, just stop saying Miles Turner to Boston. Cause like if, if it was going to happen, it would have been done by now. My biggest underachieving team uh, is similar to Cole's thought process on Denver. But for me, it's the LA Clippers. I uh, I'm doubling down on the Clippers being the nine seed this year. I said it on shooters. The main reason for me is that when I look at this roster, cause we know that Kawhi, he had surgery in July. They're projecting it as like eight to nine months. So they think he's going to be back practicing in like March, April range, which is when you start to get into NBA playoffs. So to me, like you're missing him the whole season. So when you really look at this roster, because when you hear the Clippers, like automatically you think like Paul George and Kawhi, well, one of those guys is going to be missing all season. So outside of Paul George, you're relying on Reggie Jackson, who got paid, looked pretty good last year, but can he do it again this year? I have my doubts. They brought in Bledsoe, who I'm not very high on. We'll see how that backcourt works together. Uh, You've got Morris. You've got Zubach. You've got Ibaka, Batum, Winslow, Kennard. Like, to me, they look like, like, but like they look like Indiana outside of the fact that they have Paul George. But Paul George the last couple years hasn't played a full season either. So when he misses time, they're really going to struggle, especially and so for me, I just I look at the Clippers roster and I'm just I'm not enamored by it. There's a lot of names there that look good that I think at their best years are behind them. And I think they're going to struggle this year overall as a team, especially chemistry wise. So I think the Clippers are going to underachieve. I think a lot of people think, well, Paul George will drag them to 
five through eight, somewhere in that range. I think they're more so going to be on the outside, but still in that play-in game, if you have Kawhi back by then, then they probably make the playoffs because then you have Kawhi and Paul George going up against one of those lesser Western Conference teams. So that's why I have them as an underachiever, just because I think the expectations are a lot higher and people aren't looking at like the actual roster and some of the moves and injuries that they're dealing with. Yeah, I, de- I-, I could see the Clippers um, underachieving because like you said, we don't know when Kawhi's coming back. They say he's ahead of schedule, but we know he's going to be the last person to rush back or come back when expected. Uh, you know, he, he kind of plays it low-key, does what he wants to do, which, you know, if, if an organization is okay with that, that's fine. That's just part of the reason why I didn't, you know, when when there was a possibility, like who wouldn't take Kawhi Leonard at their organization? But I'm like, you know, when, when there were rumors or th- thought processes that he could end up in Miami, it's like I don't want all that extra stuff that comes with Kawhi, and he does it his own way. And, and I think it could affect the Clippers. And I think this is the third year in a row where, I mean, you know, we're looking at hopefully, you know, people I think are thinking that we've been robbed. This will be the third year in a row we've been robbed of the Lakers and the Clippers meeting in the Western Conference Finals ever since, you know, LeBron came to town, Kawhi and Paul George that came to town. Like, we always thought, like, this is the Lakers and Clippers, at least for the next three to four years, you know, matchups. And they have yet to even match up in the playoffs, let alone in the Western Conference Finals where – you know, we would have loved to see it now more than ever. Now, I don't even think that's the favorite matchup uh, just based on everything that they've done, especially the Clippers. I think a lot of other teams have caught up to the Clippers as opposed to like, yeah, you saw due to injury and stuff, teams caught up to the Lakers and then they made moves to try and separate themselves to the to the top of the pack right along with a couple other teams. But, you know, the Lakers didn't want to stay in the middle of the pack. Well, I still think the Clippers are like a middle of the pack team. Uh, especially in the Western Conference. And obviously, we don't know when Kawhi is coming back. And we know when he does, it's going to take a while for him to get the role. So before we get into our little fun part of trade of our choice, we're going to talk about a really interesting, and it's the players with the most pressure. Uh, there's a lot of players coming in with a lot of pressure, high expectations. It, it mixes the overachiever, the underachiever together, and it sets the expectations on guys. Uh, I'm going to start first with this one, and I'm going to go with mine. And it's Anthony Davis. I mm. think of, of, of a lot of people, there's pressure on a lot. And we'll go through four or five or six of them, depending on how many you guys got. But I'm going Anthony Davis. And we talked about this, Stephen, Kenneth. We, we talked about the fact that I think, I know me and Stephen both think that Anthony Davis has to be the best team on this Lakers squad if they want to win a championship. Does he have to, he has to be the best player on any given night. And I don't know if he's going to do that. You know, we talked about this, Stephen, you said it prior to, you know, prior to us actually going live on the show. And you were saying that, like, he's kind of taking a step back as to where we thought he would be. Like, where we thought Anthony Davis would be right now, he's not there. And it looked like he was ascending that way. It looked like he was here come the NBA Finals when they played uh, in the bubble. We're like, okay, now Anthony Davis takes the next step. He's going to become a superstar. He's going to be a top five player in the NBA for years to come. He's going to be the future. The thing that we thought, you know, this he's going to be who we thought he was going to be at around this time entering the prime of his career. And so I think there's a lot of pressure on him. And I look at it even in a future aspect. Not only do I think he has to be on any given night the best player for the Lakers to win a championship, but I also think that he has to show that he has that superstar potential or he is a superstar because we do know LeBron's only getting older. LeBron is eventually not going to be in the Lakers uniform, and we know this. 
And so we know Russell Westbrook is getting older. Eventually, him and LeBron probably leave together. We don't know. But the one player that's supposed to stay and keep that organization competitive is Anthony Davis. And so you don't have as much of a sales pitch to, to get a guy to, to sign to the Lakers in free agency if there's a lot better options to play alongside. So you need Anthony Davis to be look like one of those top five to seven players that we had him at coming into last season after his finals performance for the simple fact, like when LeBron does leave or starting a year early to prepare for the exit of LeBron James, you have to start sell- selling why somebody should come play for the Lakers, whether it's in free agency, mainly in free agency. And if AD is not the guy, there's eight, nine, 10 other guys, uh, X, a certain uh, free agent will rather play with to go try and get the championship or feels like he has a better shot at winning a championship. I feel like the Lakers don't have that same sales pitch ultimately to continue to thrive and be a great organization without having a couple rough years after LeBron James leaves. Uh, Steven, who do you got as your player with the most pressure? Just real quick, uh, Mo, you, you kind of brought me into the whole AD conversation. And I just want to mention, you know, some people might be saying like, what are you talking about? He's, you know, one of the best players in the NBA. Yeah, that might be true. But I remember in New Orleans, you know, there's a lot of conversations about, you know, when LeBron James eventually does retire, that Anthony Davis would be the face of the NBA. And then it started turning into, well, will it be him and Carl Anthony Towns? Well, he's outlasted that conversation. But I mean, coming into this season, I have him as my 12th best player uh, in the NBA behind the likes of guys like, you know, um, James Harden, Damian Lillard, Nikola Jokic, uh, players like that. And when we considered when he was drafted and, you know, some of the conversations that took place after, you know, mm-hmm. he played a few seasons, that's not really where we expected him. So that's where I bring up, you know, he might be underperforming to where he was supposed to be in his career. But to me, player with the most pressure, um, I talked about the team. Let's talk about the player, Jason Tatum, because this is a guy, you know, when he was just a pup playing alongside Kyrie Irving, when Kyrie missed a lot of time, he was the face of this team when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals when he was just a pup, right? He was the guy that dunked on LeBron James, you know, and he's kind of already lived up to be a top 10 to 15 player role. Mo, you're a big fan of, you know, listening to what players say here recently. He said that I want to, it's like, I'm not satisfied with being in this 10 to 15 range. I want to work my way up to being a top five player where there's a little bit of bullets aboard material for the rest of the people in the NBA, right? Like he's coming into this season with something to prove. And then, you know, look, last season, we already talked about how well they did not play. They were 36 and 36, but Tatum put up 26, seven and four and shot 46% from the floor, almost 40% from deep and 87% from the line. He's the 10th best player on my, you know, NBA players list coming into this season, two spots ahead of your Anthony Davis. But what makes him, have so much pressure with how you know esteemed he's already become in the NBA. Well, last season's expectations from Boston compared to where they are now, their roster, as we already mentioned earlier, mode they're in decline. We already mentioned that some of his teammates are getting COVID, and this team could be broken up without immediate success, right? We already saw Danny Ainge moved, and I think that's the first of several pieces that are going to be moved without any sort of real achievement. So who does this put the pressure on the most for the future success of Boston, you know, and how they stand today that all falls at the feet of Jason Tatum, which is why I think, you know, sure. There's the, the popular conversation of yeah, LeBron James. So, you know, it's, it's always him, right? Like we always have to say LeBron James, or is it going to be, I'm going to, I'm not going to say the name, but with some of the things that we've seen this off season, you know, that puts more pressure on somebody else's teammates. Right. I think ultimately, 
Um, one guy that we're not talking about a lot with pressure is Jason Tatum, but I think that there's a lot that you have to consider um, that kind of tilts the scale towards him a little bit as to being a player with a lot of pressure. Yeah, and one thing you said, and that I want to key on, is when you came in and you're like, you know, people are going to might listen to this and, well, what are you talking about? You know, these are top 10, top 15 guys. That's why there's these are the players with the most pressure. We don't care what the 26th, 27th best player in the league, we don't care what he does. Essentially, that's your second or your third guy. Typically, you know, we don't really care. The farther you are down the depth chart, the, the, the less we care about what you do coming into the season. So it is your top 10 to 15, maybe even top 20 guys who come in the season with the most pressure because team success is put on these players back. So just to bring up to your point about if people are like, well, how is Anthony Davis playing with pressure? How is Jason Tatum playing with pressure? It's your best players in the league that constantly have pressure. And when they start underachieving, they haven't won a championship, more pressure. They haven't done this. They've done this, but haven't done that. That creates pressure. And like you said, Steve, when you come out and say, I am a top 10 to 15 player, but I'm trying to be top five, you create a little bit of pressure on yourself because now everybody's looking to see if you make that step to be considered a top five player. Are you the future superstar of the league that we expect you to be? So I definitely agree with you. Kenneth, who's your player with most pressure? I uh, I think the guy with the most pressure coming into this season is Donovan Mitchell because when I look at Utah and what they did last year, they were the one seed last year. You know, they, they dropped that game in the playoffs to Memphis and then they kind of steamrolled them a bit. Then they were up and then, you know, they lose that series. And so when I look at his contemporaries around him that are – because he's entering year five. So if we're talking about guys kind of around that four- to six-year mark, Tatum's been to the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, Trey Young just took Atlanta to the Eastern Conference Finals. We talk about Devin Booker, a player at his position, just went with the Phoenix Suns to the NBA Finals. So the pressure has to start mounting on Mitchell because every year Utah keeps getting better. They keep making moves to up this roster. Like, look at their offseason. They brought in Whiteside. They brought in Gay, a couple of veteran presents that aren't even necessarily going to play a ton of minutes, but they're guys that have played in big games and they're going to help. And you look at that roster, it's loaded. Like they can go eight, nine, 10 guys deep. And so the pressure is going to be on him. He's the best player on the Utah Jazz. He's going to take them as far as they're going to go. And so if Utah finishes as the one seed again, but then they're out in the Western semifinals, people are going to start to say like, okay, is Donovan Mitchell a true number one on it on a championship team? And you know, we we have to wait with some of these guys because, like, Luca, he's in year four, so we'll give him one more year. But, like, as soon as you hit year five, that's when they start to say, like, okay, is this who you are? Because he's 25 years old. He's starting to come into his prime. Like, okay, how much further can you go with this? So I think there's a ton of pressure on Donovan Mitchell because I think the majority of folks have him at minimum the Utah Jazz is a top three seed in the Western Conference, if not top two. So the pressure is going to be there. They're going to have home court likely through most of the playoffs, if not all of the playoffs in the Western Conference. So there's really no excuse why the Utah Jazz shouldn't be going to the NBA Finals outside of the fact that you've got like a big three in L.A. So I think that there's a ton of pressure on him coming into this year. I love that take, man. I, I really appreciate that take. That was good. Yeah, and you know, Donovan Mitchell, my guy. So, I, I mean, it's definitely some pressure, though. Like you said, if you want to take the next step, we're looking at, you know, that ESPN list from last year, or Stevens list and Chris list. When you talk about the top 25 under 25, 
it's a loaded list. The future of the league is in good hands. And we knew what the draft class of this year, how talented they were coming in. Like the future is bright. And, and if you don't take that next step, like you'll get left because like you said, his contemporaries, you got he's gonna be competing the next 10 years with with Luca and Trey Young and Jason Tatum and even Jalen Brown and Devin Booker. And then, you know, we, we start talking about Ben Simmons and, and some of those guys, and then even the Colin Sextons and and you know, the, the list goes on. The, the year one and year two guys. So it gets real competitive. If you can't take that step, you become like middle of the pack amongst your age. You're, you're nothing more than an all-star player, which is never a bad thing. But at the same time, like we saw flashes from Donovan Mitchell where he could be, you know, one of the top five to seven players of the future, uh, you know, for the, the Utah NFL. Jazz are also not a team in free agency that are going out and signing like a, a top right. 10 player in the league. So like we have to have the expectation that, a, they're never going to have a high enough draft pick to then put pieces around him moving forward. Unless they have not, a Jared Butler fall into their laps. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like, like they would have to find an absolute gem in the draft, which they're, yes, they are out there, but like, you know, they're a dime a dozen. Like, they, sorry, not a dime a dozen. They don't happen very often. But overall, when you look at this team, like this might be the best that Utah ever is with Donovan Mitchell. So, we have to start looking at them as like, okay, if you don't get it done this year, like where are you going from here then? Yeah, I definitely yeah, I definitely get where you're coming from. So Cole, player with the most pressure. I had three and you guys stomped on two of them. Anthony Davis and Donovan Mitchell are the two I had circled. But uh, a guy that I think has a, a significant amount of pressure is Zach Levine. Zach Levine is the face of the franchise in Chicago. You built that team around him. You got rid of – Lori Markinen, Wendell Carter, you got rid of those guys to build around him. You've been through a couple of coaches. Now you have the roster around him. So now I think this is the time he's got to show he's going to be the guy in Chicago. Yeah, and I, I, I Levine thing. as well. That Levine was my second guy, and 100% because when you look at the DeRozan move, they, they made the trade for Vucevic. They Lonzo. brought in Lonzo. Like, they brought in pieces. And if you're if that if all that gets you as a first round and out, then people are going to start to be like, okay, like, what are we doing here? Like, yeah, I mean, I definitely, uh, I definitely see it being some pressure, especially because the East is loaded. Chicago has a really good team. They got to show something as far as like they can win something. There's, there's some type of expectations on Chicago. That they're a team we all can see really uh, win a playoff series. So we've broken down, you know, everything overachiever, underachiever, teams, players. Uh, guys with the most pressure. So now we ended off, you know, with just a little bit of fun, hypothetical, something that we would want to see. Uh, so we'll start with you, Cole. The NBA, the trade deadline comes, trades happen. The NBA trade deadline is probably the most exciting trade deadline of any sport because it's typically the most active uh, year in and year out as far as big moves and NBA altering moves happen pretty much on a yearly basis. So a, a trade of your choice, if, if you can see whether you have one or two, but give me the package also. Who do you see being traded? Who would you like to be? Who, who would you like to see traded this year? I see a trade centered around Ben Simmons and CJ McCollum. I want it to be centered around Ben Simmons and CJ McCollum. I'm tired of watching the Sixers and the Trailblazers flame out with their number two options. So why not swap them? I think Simmons, he adds some defensive versatility. He's that LeBron stopper per se. He's the AD stopper with his length. He's one of the better defenders in the NBA. And, and Dame gets to play a little bit more off ball. So I think that's a good move for Portland. And as for uh, Philadelphia, they get a ball handler that can play off the ball, create his own shot, 
I think it is a perfect fit for both sides. Maybe throwing some sweetener picks, a young guy and Nasir Little and Anthony Simons, whatever it may be. But a McCollum for Simmons deal, I think win-win on both sides. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think I've said it when we, we're talking about a player whose value was James Harden last year. Like, essentially, it was like you'll get James Harden for, like, Ben Simmons, Maxie, and a first-round pick. Like, that was kind of the trade package that was a possibility uh, at the beginning of last year when when we knew James Harden didn't want to play. So now we're talking about his his value around the league has depleted. I still think that, you know, I think a team could really end up sweeping in there and get getting him at a lesser value and really winning that trade uh, when we look at that trade later on down the line. But I do think one trade that makes the most sense is almost like a C.J. McCollum for Simmons straight up. Now, granted, I think Simmons has more value than just a McCollum or however you want to look at it. But I think, like like you said, it solves both teams' issues like it, in an even swap. Like, you need a guy who really could get his own bucket. C.J. McCollum could do that. You know, Portland lacks on the defensive side of the ball. And like you said, Dame would be able to play a little more off ball and not have to create and drop 30, uh, create for others and drop 30. He could also be essentially just a score, which would probably fit Dame even better if you had Ben Simmons kind of running the offense overall and guarding – uh, the next team's best defender. So I, I love the trade. I think it makes the most sense. I think it's made the most sense. I've said that multiple times that that's a trade that just, it makes a lot of sense. And like you said, maybe you have to throw some picks as a sweetener if you're Portland, because I do think people could say Simmons doesn't have much value, but I think he has more value than just a one for one straight up. Absolutely. I have one more Mavericks love trading for Europeans. I think Goran Dragic to Dallas solves some issues too. So I I don't know what that deal is going to look like, but I think yeah. he he gonna, he could play off ball Luca. Luca play off ball Dragic. He gets a veteran presence that you can go Dragic, Luca, Hardaway, Porzingis, Powell, and that lineup's not awful. It's got veteran experience, got shooting. It's I, I like that too. So yeah, I think that could make some sense too. Kenneth, a trade of your choice. What do you, who do you want to see traded? You know, and what's the package look like? First of all, on the Dragic point, like I'd love to know the betting odds on that because he flat out said like he has no interest in playing in Toronto. So I think he's a guy that's going to get traded at some point this year. Who that's to, obviously, I think Dallas would be a great fit. I think that Boston and Toronto are going to make a trade. And you mentioned it earlier, the Siakam one, and I was pissed off that you said it then, strictly because I had it written down. And I'm like, damn it, now I'm going to sound unoriginal. But I had it written down and I'm going to double down on it. So I think when you look at Boston, Brad Stevens moved to the front office like, and he he gave up the coaching reins, and I think there's going to be some pressure there, and he knows it for him to make a trade at some point this year because Steven alluded to it that Boston's probably going to be an underachiever if they don't go out and make moves because the roster just overall isn't there when the rest of the Eastern Conference got better. So let's talk about a team that's, I think, at the deadline going to be in a, okay, I think we need to now officially go into our full-on rebuild in Toronto. Thought they should have done it a couple years ago, but teams are always reluctant to do it coming off of a championship. So the deal would be centered around Siakam heading to Boston. Now, the issue here is you have to take on a contract at some point. They would probably have to take on Al Horford in a trade because just the money side of things. And then they would want a couple young pieces Aaron Naismith, Peyton Pritchard for Pascal Siakam. I think that ditching the Horford contract especially is the key of this for them. They get a guy that I think gives them some versatility in their lineup. It gives them another scorer in their lineup. I think overall just makes Boston that much better. And it secures Stevens more time in the front office because if they don't make a move at some point, 
he could be gone in a couple of years because we're going to start to see some of these pieces start to move out. They yeah, love Pritchard, though, man. They love I know. They love I, I, I know they love Pritchard. They love Pritchard. They have a lot of young guards, even if it's not Pritchard. If they go a different route, because we know that they got like 15, 21 year olds on their team. So, like, they can go many different ways with that. Toronto would probably push for Pritchard, maybe get a lesser 21, 22 year old. But I still think they could get a deal done there because they get the couple young pieces. They move on from Siakam, probably includes a draft pick of some sort as well. So that way they can draft another asset. Because Boston, they don't have any interest in bringing in a a lot more rookies because a they already have plenty and b they're in win now mode with the fact that they have Tatum and Brown and they don't want to squander their prime. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry I ruined your trade. I was like, I'm so mad at you. I didn't, for that. Think, I didn't you, think anybody was sitting there, and then you said Siakam to Boston, and I'm just like, <laughs> that you, was if, um, if you roll it back, I I had that exact reaction to it. So I didn't. Oh, I was, and I didn't think about it. Like I wasn't. That wasn't a trade I thought about earlier when I was going through trades of my choice. It was just, I was like, well, Boston would make some sense. They need another guy. We know this. Uh, and that would make some sense. So for you to put a package together, I mean, that makes a lot of sense for both sides. Steven, a trade of your choice, who who, who you got? What, what What's the move that, that would really make you as an NBA fan just excited to see? Well, you just saw me grab my pencil and I scribbled because I don't think that my deal is strong enough, but I just sweetened it up a little bit because I'm sitting here listening to all these moves and I'm thinking like I, I want to see the the main player get moved, but I had to sweeten the deal up a little bit. So let's see what you guys think about this. Atlanta gets Bradley Beal from the Washington Wizards. Okay. They trade Danilo Gallinari, Onyeko Kongwu, and Cam Reddish to bring him in. Now, Atlanta has still a lot of depth, right? Because you see, all right, Danilo Gallinari's move, but they just drafted Jalen Johnson, right? They, they still have, you know, quite a bit of forwards on this team, you know, including DeAndre Hunter, who can give them good minutes at the four, right? And they still, and they and they brought in John Collins, right? Onyeko Kongwu's moved, but they have Clint Capella and they have Gorgie Dang, who is a serviceable backup big man in the NBA. And then Cam Reddish, you still have Bogdanovich coming off the bench when you bring in Bradley Bill and you still have a Kevin Herter on the team, right? So, you still have good quality depth. Heck, you could even throw in some draft picks if you really wanted to bring that bring in a Bradley Bill. But I think, you know, Washington, they they made some moves to where it's like, okay, they're kind of serious about wanting to keep Bradley Bill, although they have a rookie head coach who hope does significantly well. But you know, we just saw Kyle Kuzma put up a really good game for the Washington Wizards, and they brought in, you know, uh, you know, a number of other veterans on this team that look like they can do something. But I still think that this is the season where we'll see Washington move Bradley Bill in Atlanta. If if you want to move a star, you know, too bad that they already have Trey Young, so to speak, because they can't bring in a Damian Lillard. Like those two on the same backcourt would be fun for an all-star game. But I think for a season, you know, that's not really going to help them out that much. But bringing in a Bradley Bill who can play the two who would look who would probably get some of the cleanest looks he's ever gotten in his career playing next to a pick and roll of, you know, Collins and Trey Young. I mean, that's just a nasty team in the Eastern Conference. It helps them progress along those Golden State Warrior timelines that I keep paralleling them to. I mean, a Trey Young and a Bradley Bill backcourt, kind of a pseudo, you know, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, you know, they're not going to be the Splash Brothers. We'll probably never see anything like that again. But, I mean, in the Eastern Conference, a backcourt of Beal and Young 
with still really good defenders, right? Of of you know DeAndre Hunter, you still have you know Clint Capella as a rim protector, a really good defender. There's still enough pieces on this team to still be super competitive, although you're giving up quite a haul again in a Danilo Gallinari on Yucko Okongwu and a Cam Reddish, probably a first round pick or two. And that would be hard to turn down if you're Washington, because I don't think that you could get another package like that for a Bradley Bill. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see that. Um, and I think you would have to throw draft picks in just because Reddish, we know how good he really could be if he reaches his ceiling, but other people, I don't know if they'll understand that. Like, you know, if he doesn't reach his ceiling, like, or he's not there yet. Oh, it's going to take a lot more for Bradley Bill. So I think teams would expect, or people around, you know, Atlanta will probably throw in some draft picks uh, just to to sweeten the deal a little bit because it is Bradley Bill. We're talking about an all-star player, and we talk about that changes the whole dynamic of a conference if uh, Bradley Bill ends the up in at large, dude. I, I mean, league, period. But I think they also like making that trade because, like, he pointed out, like, a lot of the players that, like, you know, they don't need Okongu because they've got guys there, and they don't need Gallinari because they have guys there. Atlanta needs to decide whether it's Hunter or Reddish moving forward because when their contracts come up, like they won't be able to pay both of them likely. Nope. So if you're going to ship out one of them, like you still get to keep DeAndre Hunter. That's what's crazy about this is like, that's why Atlanta is one of those teams to watch out for at the deadline because they got plenty of assets to move out. They're not prepared to completely give up their depth because they would still have guys like Herder coming off the bench and, and a lot of other pieces, like even Johnson and Sharif Cooper that they drafted. So I think they're interested in moving one of those young guys. I agree with Mo. I think it would take probably one or two first-rounders on top of that. But if you're Atlanta and you're in win-now mode, you're probably okay giving up those picks if it means the 25th pick in the draft, and it means that you have a real shot at winning the East. Yeah, and so, yeah, I definitely – I think that would be a good trade. And I just – something about Bill in Atlanta just makes sense. Like – it just sounds like a trade that it just, you know, you see certain moves, you're like, man, I just can't imagine him in that uniform. And like Bill in the Atlanta uniform, like we all, I think, could just imagine that happening. So for me, mine is DeMontis Sabonis and Warren to Golden State for James Wiseman, Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole, and two first round picks. I know that sounds like a lot, but I think Golden State is in win now. And to Steven's point, you got to let big men develop. And I don't think Golden State can waste any more time with Steph Curry. I think Steph is only getting older. We don't know what Clay's going to look like. But imagine if he does come back and he's back to as best version of Clay that we're going to get for the next three to four years. I think they become and win now. And I know they have Draymond Green, but I think Sabonis stretches the court. And also because Draymond Green can facilitate, you could have, and Sabonis can shoot a jumper, you can have, to me, Draymond Green and Sabonis on the floor at the same time. I think Sabonis would be the starting center. I think Warren, if you if Kamingo progressed right, then he could be in the starting lineup. If not, you could continue to have Moses Moody, uh, Damian Lee, and Jonathan Kamingo coming off the bench. And you, and you put Warren in that starting lineup, who we know, at the very least, he can get his own bucket. So then you would have Steph, Clay, Warren, Draymond, and Sabonis with Moses Moody, Kaminga, Damian Lee, and a couple others coming off the bench. I think that sounds more like a team that could really compete in the West and win a championship this year 
than their team is now as constructed. And I know sometimes like you don't want to give up on James Wiseman, but like you said, when you have certain players, you can't necessarily think about two to three years from now all the time. And I think Sabonis is still fairly young. He's on the right side of 30. You have Kaminga and Moody, which we I think they're already thinking about the future with keeping their draft picks the past two years. I just think it's inevitable that that if there's a move to be made, that James Wiseman has to be a part of a trade for an all-star or all-star caliber player. I think Wiseman has to go and Wiggins has to go for the contracts to match. Uh, but I could see like a pool for Warren because like I said, I think Indiana could be very interested in a young guard like Poole. I think he'd have that value. And so that's where the and Warren would come in. And then the two future first, just because you are getting an all-star player and Sabonis, who probably will right, you know, to the trade deadline, have made it to where he looks like an all-star player. What is y'all's thoughts on that trade? I think they I think you need to add one more piece to that. And I think it would be Moody or Kuminga or picks, which because to me, like like I like Wiggins and and I like Wiseman, but like I don't know if that moves the needle enough to give up Sabonis, who is an All Star last year and looks really good, and Warren on top of that. Like I think you have to throw in because you have Warren a part of that. Like if it was just Sabonis for those three, I think it's fine, but because you throw in Warren, I think they would want either picks or one more player, whichever one Golden State is. They'd probably want to part with picks more so because I mean you already have guys well, that first round fifteen. Hmm? I said two first round picks. Oh, I didn't hear the first round picks. Yeah, I had I had me. it was it was uh uh Jordan Poole, Wiggins, Wiseman, and two first round picks for Warren okay, and Sabonis. That's fine. Then the then the trade would go through easily. And you could make it real crazy and throw Turner to the Celtics because that's always in rumors. Too. Yeah, like three way where Turner yeah. goes three to the Celtics. Finally. <laughs> yeah, he goes there and then Siakam goes to Boston and like everyone just decides to trade a player and yeah. somehow Bones And just make all think, our trades go into fruition off of one. Like, let's just combine all of them. I it, think it it's fine. The Lakers with... will take Sabonis. <laughs> all right, you convince me. I think if – Golden State were to make a trade with Indiana, I think Malcolm Brogdon would be more likely to be involved in it because it helps give them some guard versatility. He's a great three-point shooter for one, and it takes pressure off of Clay Thompson to come in and be that dynamite backup, you know, or that dynamite backcourt pairing. Plus, you could play all three of them on the floor at the same time, the one, two, and the three, and it gives them another perimeter defender, right? So I could see them maybe doing a deal with you know like a brogdon and a and a turner instead of a sabonis you still maybe keep a wiseman because you you don't want wiseman behind a sabonis and a turner on this team right you can still give them andrew wiggins especially with lavert being hurt and then you could make you might have to give up like a monk or a kaminga instead that way it makes their team a little bit more well-rounded on front court and back court but i don't know I, Initially, I felt like like even Golden State might be giving up too much for for that move at, at first upon hearing it. Yeah, and and I thought about that, and I'm like, man, I think if I did that, go, I think Golden State is giving up a lot. But I think teams, when you know you're trying to win now, sometimes you have to overpay in order to give yourself the opportunity to win now. We've mm -hmm. seen it happen before, and other teams know that like you're calling us to make this move because you feel like you this move puts you at a championship caliber team, mm -hmm. and we know how bad you want it, and you can overcharge. So I was even putting myself in like a GM hat, and you know, because other teams aren't reluctant to just give up 
their best player, their sure. star, their all-star player. Like they're like, you know what? You're gonna have to overpay if you want them, or we're good to keep them. And so sometimes I think to make, especially like if it could be a mid-season, close to the trade deadline, get ready for the second half of the season. Let's get this championship run going. I think at that point in time, you do end up having to overpay. And it is one of those, if you look two to three years down the line, that could have been a bad trade because, like, Wiseman turns into an all-star center. Uh, Wiggins continues to be a great defensive player and gives you 20 points a game. Um, and then if they – but based on my trade, Jordan Poole wins a six-man of the year, and now you're like, man, we gave up way too much. We could have kept it. But sometimes guys thrive in their roles a lot better when they leave and, and whatnot. But I could see Golden State because we're still surprised two years later that – you know, the year, you know, last year we did on the draft show, we were expecting the Warriors to trade the number two pick. Um, and then this year they had two lottery picks. We were expecting like a team who's in win now mode is going to trade both of those. And, and we had Wiseman and Wiggins on our radar to, you know, we heard Bradley Beal is a possibility or Ben Simmons. Like we were hearing those and we knew it would cost that much. But now that they were able to use those two first round picks, I think they got the guys they want for the future and they're able to use future first round picks to bring in a guy now. So now they were able to play their card right and play win now and still continue to build with the future with Moses, Moody, and Kaminga. So I think the Warriors will hold on as tight as possible about not having to trade Moses, Moody, or Kaminga unless it was really worth their while. And I don't know if Sabonis would be the guy that they would necessarily give up a Moody or Kaminga just because they didn't trade those picks away prior. So I think they also, end up getting the guys they felt. Did anyone up. else get chills at Steven's scenario of having Steph, Brogdon, Clay, Draymond, Sabonis as a potential starting lineup? Because because I got chills thinking about that as a Golden State lineup. Like, I think that would be so fun. I, I, I'm not as high on Brogdon, and I me trust either. me, trust me. Uh, but but I think he'd be a great two else. alongside those two. Yes, yes, absolutely. I just I worry about him. Yeah. Like health wise, like that, the, the physical yeah. Milwaukee didn't keep him because the physicals were so bad. And I, like, I just, I have so many just red flags with him, but I, on the court, he is definitely a play, like a good, good play. I just would be afraid to give up a pool, a Moody, a Kaminga for a guy that might miss the season because he's got foot issues, you know? So. Yeah. And that would, that would be my only thing with Brogdon is, is health. And I don't think like the Warriors would want to take that chance of a guy who's not the health. He can't, Nobody can guarantee you health, but when you have prior health issues, it's pretty fair to say that you don't want to. It's a higher risk taking the trade for that player. But that wraps up tonight's show. Fellas, I appreciate y'all for coming on. So before we go, I'll let y'all plug in your social media and future projects, starting with you, Steven. Yeah. So, you know, obviously it's great to be back um, repping off the ball network. It's great to be back on Up in Flames. And I appreciate all y'all tolerating me and uh, looking forward to get back into the swing of things and, you know, picking up, you know, before the season even kicks off. I'm glad that I get to be back. But um, you can follow me on Twitter at Stephen G Hoops. Uh, you can follow Breaking the Game at BTG NBA Pod on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. That's where Kenneth and I co-host and do a basketball show. Um, really good. Really good time there. Um, you can follow um, at Draft Capital NBA on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. That's going to be the new uh, NBA draft-centric show that uh, myself and president for Off the Ball Network, Chris LeBron, are doing. I'm already starting to do scouting for that, so that's going to be fun. And then just go check out offtheballnetwork.com. we got a lot of great articles up there. More than just basketball, you're seeing a lot of great basketball conversation tonight. But, you know, golf, you know, NFL, college sports, you know, bets, fighting, all that fun stuff is over at offtheballnetwork.com. So go be sure and uh, check that out. 
Yeah, definitely make sure. And, you know, of course, as always, welcome back, bro. We're glad to have you back. You killed it tonight to have been out of the loop for a while. You you know, right back where you where you left off. Kenneth, Appreciate yeah, it. Kenneth, go ahead and plug uh, any future projects. I know you have about a thousand of them. Oh, Jesus, the laundry list that I got to break out here. I just got to get one of those old-timey scrolls to, to read off all the projects I've got going on. So we'll just go, like, day by day. So Sundays, we've got Bets on Bets on Bets, me and my co-host, Pat. Uh, we're profitable this year. I was not profitable last week, so it's going to be a, a great week this week bouncing back. Uh, we got break in the game. That's Let's first of all talk about Off the Ball Network Mondays as far as nothing but net channel on Dash Radio because we've now got four straight hours of Off the Ball Network shows. Uh, we've got Mo, we've got Chris, we've got Steven and I, and then Shooters is going to be on there now as well. Uh, so Tuesday nights is when Shooters is. Uh, be sure to check that out. I got Sage Alvarez coming on this Tuesday. Uh, going to be a great show with him. Uh, golf betting article out every Wednesday. Uh, NFL betting article every Thursday. I uh, usually appear on CU Sunday and got another 15 articles and whatever else going on. So uh, you can follow all my social platforms at shooters underscore pod. And uh, Mo, thanks again for having me on. Always appreciate it. You need the international audience anytime. Just shoot me a, shoot me a message. Of course, you know it's always a good time when you come on, bro. Whether it's football, basketball, you know we always have great conversation. And for the guy who is more than welcome to come on anytime, has earned his keep, has probably outdid his keep, made me look bad, and and that's Cole from the Nothing But Airtime, bro. Tell us any about your future projects and stuff you got going on. Uh, no, I actually was going to collaborate with you and JP from Off the Ball Network. We're doing a 90s NBA basketball draft where we're doing some fictional stuff, drafting some of the best players in the 90s. Probably going to have some of the some new episodes of Nothing But Airtime coming out on Spotify and Apple, getting some more guests in, talking WWE, NBA, some of that stuff. Um, and yeah, just fictional basketball tournaments wrapping up. So be on the lookout for the championship. It'll be coming Sunday. So thanks for having me on, Mo. It was a lot of fun talking and I'm looking forward to doing more. So yeah so there you have it that wraps up the up in flames nba season preview for 2022 um you know as always i am your host mo murphy and on that note up in flames is out